What is the value in stats like expected goals and expected assists? Is there an inherent flaw in English football punditry? And who was the best signing of the summer transfer window? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tactics Room podcast. It's been a minute, but I hope you remember. My name is Will Fowler. So happy you're willing to join me again for another episode on the verge of club football's return. Now, I know in these intros, I've been going into the details a bit for any new listeners uh, because all of you legendary returners already know the drill, but today is a bit different in the sense that it's new for all of us. I'm drifting away from the concrete analysis for this episode in favor of an interesting conversation, because for the first time on this podcast, and certainly not the last, I welcome the guests onto the airwaves with the goal of being to get to know them a little better and to introduce them to you. And so, my guest for episode 5 was Alex Barker, but you probably know him a bit better as the Euro expert. Alex is a European football analyst from England with a big social media following. At the time of recording, Alex has about 1,700 YouTube subscribers, 6,000 followers on Twitter, and 16,000 TikTok followers. He also produces content for One Football. He produces content for Get French Football News, and of course, he creates content for Breaking the Lines. Impressively, uh, his rise didn't really begin until the start of 2021, and his biggest growth came over the summer thanks to his thorough and complete coverage of the Euros and the summer transfer window. Alex joined me for a virtual call and the truth is that there's not a whole lot that he and I didn't talk about. We went on for over an hour about a number of different things like the flaws in English football punditry and which controversial opinions he still stands by. We also talked about how much he does in any given weekend but more importantly what drives him to do it. We spoke about abstract stats, expected goals, expected assists, and why he thinks they're still so misunderstood. And we even talked about his own personal struggles and how he views them as a strength and not a weakness. Alex, I know I said this to you several times after I ended the recording on our Zoom call, but a genuine thank you for being willing to come onto the podcast and speak about so many different things. It was truly one of my favorite chats. And for all of you listening, you're in for a treat. Here's my conversation with Alex. All right, so I am joined now by the Euro expert, Alex Barker, our first official guest on the Tactics Room, which is very, very, very exciting. Alex, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's great. Very happy to be on. I said the first guest thing. That's an honor. So uh, I'm chuffed. Just make sure the <laughs> ego doesn't go too high now. Yeah, well, that's uh, we'll, we'll hope not. I'll try to I'll try to keep you uh, a bit grounded here and there. Um, but I do have to give you some flack before we even dive into anything, because the last time we worked together was on the European transfer window Twitter spaces on uh, on breaking the lines a couple of days a couple of weeks ago and you just went in on the international break and how it's it's you're waiting for it to be over and you're counting the seconds I mean this has been a good one this has been a good break have you been following it at all or are you just waiting for club football not, to return? I tell you what I've actually enjoyed it this time um not because of the football because I couldn't have cared less about the international football <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't care less of, couldn't care less where I am uh it's just been more fun because all the club teams have got bored all the club fans have got bored so they've just resorted to petty arguments so <laughs> I've, I've just enjoyed the things like Salavi Neymar or Salavi Ronaldinho that's what I've enjoyed in this international break <laughs> Well, I feel like this is, it's around that time where club football returns in, what, three or four days and the fans are getting antsy. And then that's when the, the bizarre theories just get thrown out, right? It's yeah. like, bait. It's who, who can they latch on to? And I think that's that's kind of the period that we're entering, that like, like, it's about to be back, but it's been a week and a half without it. So let me just say something random and see what I can get. We're at that point in the international window. Um, 
So for those who are listening to the podcast who uh, may not know who you are, they should. Um, but if they don't, really quickly before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation, um, you made a few, you made a video a few weeks back, just a bit of a behind the scenes of how you analyze and watch football matches, how you kind of prepare for things like this and for podcast cameos, and how you just just familiarize yourself with with the game all across the continent. Um, so just as a bit of a tease to those listening who, again, may not be as familiar with you as I am, uh, just give me a, a rundown of what a standard weekend looks like for you. Oh, great question. All right, my, <laughs> standard, my standard weekend, um, right, I note down uh, the games across Europe that are available to, to watch for me. And um, allegedly the games that aren't available to watch for me on TV, because I definitely don't watch them online. Um, and uh, yeah, I know all, all of them down. Um <laughs> Uh, I apologize to the girlfriend to say I'm not seeing you this weekend. <laughs> most of the time. And, uh, and then, yeah, what I'll do is I'll try and spread my eyes around as much football as possible. In fact, it's a good question. Let me, let me talk you through my weekend uh, coming up. So uh, this weekend, in fact, I will be waking up uh, about 12.30, getting up for 12.30 kickoff over here. Um, I'll be watching Watford beat Liverpool. And then I'm going to keep an eye on Union beat Wolfsburg. And I'll have in the background Spartak beat Dinamo Moscow as well, because I'm a big fan of Russian football and liking the idea of that. Lazio beat Inter's on after that. And just after that, I'll be able to keep up with Leon beat Monaco. Sunday, uh, start early uh, for me, 11am, uh, RZ v Utrecht. Uh, make sure you keep up with Dutch football. Then a couple hours later, I've got Leverkusen beat Munich. Uh, Napoli beat Torino as well, a few hours after that. And then in the evening, no, I've got a choice. I might watch Genk v Upen in uh, Belgium, uh, Juventus v Roma, or Marseille v Lorient. So depending on who you are, um, it's either a very cool life or a very sad life. I like it. I think it's somewhere in between. Yeah, gla the glass half full mentality is it's 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 the dedication that not many people have. Um, so and as you're as you're watching these matches, you're not just watching, right? You're not just just throwing them on while you've got lunch on the side and saying, "Oh, look, a goal." You're you're analyzing it minute one to minute ninety. I know you. Write down the the match notes in, in this massive document. Right, you are you are in tune. You're you're taking note of of, of basically everything. Yes. So my logic was, and uh, give a bit of background to you. So I started this, and um, really the UK sort of lockdown period. So 2020. Um, I just come out of. Could give you a lot of facts there. So I I, <laughs> I was a. Uh, over here, I'm not sure I was in America, but basically nearly all jobs shut down. And I was working at a retail place and uh, I I was just getting paid for not working, which I'd love to go back to. <laughs> and um, So I kind of sat there. Um, I was just like, what what do I want to do in life, really? And I kind of looked inwards and was like, what do I do every day? I, I sit down, I watch Football Daily, popular uh, YouTube channel. I'll read the athletic and different things like this and i'll just keep up my news it's like this is kind of what i want to do and i've always been big into football data and when football came back in J june 2020 obviously it's all on tv and my logic was like right anyone can have a look at who scored off a breath uh, the two popular stats sites and say right i can decipher what came from this game through the stats if i'm noting down things like uh, I don't know, someone made this assist. It's a bit useless because we already know that. So my logic was, is that, okay, I want to get more from these games. So I'm lucky to, enough to have uh, two monitors, TV and uh, my computer, running through each other. So I'll watch, let's say I'm watching Chelsea v City. 
Um, let's say that Mount goes on a nice dribble and um, uh, Mount goes on a nice dribble, but he doesn't make a good pass or he fails to make a pass into the box. Now, on the stats-wise, that would come up as Mount completing a dribble. Might come up good. And what I like to do is just note down the things that stats can't see to try and find that balance. And what it morphed into uh, for the 2020-21 season was across five leagues, I ended up building a text document of about 300,000 words, which, re- you know, a lot of life over here. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it kind of helped me out because... It came again, it gave me the confidence and the thing of anyone can write a blog or an article and say X player is making X dribbles a game, which means he's a good dribbler. But really what people do like and what casual fans like is they want to actually hear about the player. So I've always just tried to aim to give both. And that's where my analysis of the game kind of stems from. And that's that's what I love about about this whole thing is is it seems like you're making it a point to focus on what goes beneath the goals and the assists and whatever you can find on FUTMOB or Premier League.com or, or wherever. You're, you're going out of your way to, to measure the things that you can't find in a box score. And that's, I think, what fascinates me the most. And, and as, as, I mean, you, you've gone into detail, and I hope that everybody listening can kind of appreciate it now, just the level of, of dedication that something like this requires, right? It's It's Essentially, all Saturday, all Sunday is just football's on the television. And by the way, I have to say, I am a bit jealous of your setup. You mentioned you have two monitors. I, I saw in the video, you've got a big screen and then a TV. I'm, I've got my laptop and a tiny, I think, Dell monitor from like 2005 that I'm looking at. So it's very pixely. So if you've got a spare monitor, maybe you can send it across the Atlantic for me. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why I really enjoy the fact that, that you're the first guest is because I think there are a lot of similarities between you and I in the sense that um, I believe we're around the same age. I think you've got a couple months on me. Um, but we both try to see the game in a similar way in the sense that let me try to find the things that you can't just read about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they get to watch to, to find out. Um, and again, the, the level of dedication is fantastic, certainly greater than mine is. So I, what I really want to know is what makes you want to do it like what drives you to dedicate all this time to becoming so familiar with not just the premier league but as you mentioned eredivisie the russian premier league all of these leagues in football what drives you it's the big question (laughs) i don't have one i don't have one set answer i have i guess a few things that really go into it so the things that make me want to look at other leagues is that in the UK, especially in England, we have a horrific lack of understanding of European football across not only the general public, but top pundits. So I'm not sure if you have B in sports in America, do you? Uh, we don't have it on uh, streaming, but we can find plenty of, of very legal yeah, yeah. streams. So B in sports is like, they're, they've, they've, they're a massive brand and their pundits always consistently make horrible not horrible takes in terms of you disagree with it, but they'll just say, okay, no, great example, actually. We have a radio station called TalkSport, um, which I guess some people might compare to Fox News, whether you like that or not. But there's a, a man on there called Jim White, um, who's, who's employed by Sky, which is like our main broadcaster. And he was asked the other day about the Newcastle managers. And he said he doesn't want Steve Bruce to go. And his, re- his response was that, so he was asked uh, about two managers, Frank Lampard and Lucien Favre. And he went on to say, look, you know, 
you see people saying like, you know, people saying Frank Lampard to replace him or Lucien Favre and pulled his horrible face as if, who's that? You know, never managed in England. And I've hated that, mainly right. because not only just in football, but I think in general, there's like a great big disconnect from those who look at facts and graphs and those who aren't exposed to it. And then it's like in just fake news as well, right? Like it's really hard to bridge that gap. So my logic has always been, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at these European games. I'm going to do the groundwork. And the most important thing is translate it to English audiences to kind of almost raise our base level of understanding and intelligence in a sense, just like try and do my bit to make sure people aren't ignorant and they do actually go and try and do, they, they do come in with informed takes and try and encourage people to uh, do research. And I guess the other thing about it would be, it's more of a, I guess, deeper note. So I mentioned I was working in retail. I was, uh, that came after I dropped out of university, uh, which, I, you know, it's becoming actually quite a big thing in the UK, but you do get pressured into it. I know in America, you, right. you, you stay in high school till you're 21. Over here, it's till you're 18. And... I feel like a lot of people that age, like myself, don't really know what you're doing. So I dropped out for my first year. I was like, I was doing sociology. And I was like, thought I would join this. Now I'm not. That's a fourth so, Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my head has been like, right, you haven't got the traditional way of getting into an industry. You're going to have to work five, ten times as hard as everyone else to get the same opportunities that someone in that position might. And that's why it, the dedication kind of comes from. With If I put this work in every weekend, if I try and get myself researched as possible, to prove myself to other people that like, I do my work, then that will help me just be respected in a way that I felt like I still feel like sometimes I might not be. And I'm actually I'm really glad you bring that up because that's something that I wanted to to tackle with you as well is this notion that the Premier League is the overarching governing celestial body, and every single other league in Europe is just something that that lays on its knees and stares yeah. at the Premier League. The Premier League is, is this this big massive thing and Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga and, and the smaller leagues as well are the ones that um, are, are the minnows to an extent and that seems just objectively misinformed. Where, where do you think that that comes from? Does it stem from this English punditry filled with predominantly former Premier League players who have that inherent bias? Is it an issue of uh, at least on, on English-speaking football Twitter, it's a, a matter of relevance, the English league versus the English language. Is it uh, the fact that it's the league that, that is in England? Is it just the money? Like, where does that disconnect come from? And where has this notion that the Premier League is so much better than everyone else kind of stemmed from? It's definitely a lot of things you said there, really, that it is our home football. And, okay, I think most people would agree it's the best in the world. It's just... Like me and you would say, the gap between the other leagues is probably like this. Whereas other people would say it's like, my gosh, massive. Um, I do think it comes from English punctuality. Also, really, I kind of mentioned at the start, there's definitely English sort of arrogance. What uh, right. I always think about is like our good friend Zach, right? He speaks three languages. Most people in Europe are bilingual. Right. Us, we only need to know how to speak English, <laughs> you know? That's what everyone speaks. Don't need to conform to other ideals, you know? And uh, I definitely, I think that's. It's a combination of those things where you get that uh, sort of outset. And an important thing to mention as well is sometimes I fall into this trap of you can you can see on Twitter and you think, OK, these people will say, oh, stats are rubbish or whatever. You think they are the people who are casual and don't watch football. But 
it's when you go into well, it's when I go to the pub with my friends and say like oh this player is really good and they say who who's that and I'm like oh well you know he had for this many shots penalty and I don't like I don't care that's the sort of attitude you get right. across I'd say like 50% of English fan base the ones who just aren't on Twitter aren't engaged in analysis and but yeah I'll answer your question I think it's a combination of things definitely our English culture so what, what is it? Because I fully agree. And truthfully, we have that a bit in America as well. And I think the reason for it is because it's got the biggest TV deal. We see the Premier League every single weekend on, I'm not sure if you have NBC. It might be the variation of Sky over in the UK. But um, NBC has the massive Premier League deal. So we see it every single Saturday, every single Monday. There's coverage of it, I believe, virtually every single morning. And we get the Sky Sports uh, hour, two-hour news show to NBC as well. And that's a predominantly Premier League and championship centered show. Um, and so we have that same kind of Premier League over everything mentality here. And it stinks. But when you go and you really ask anybody in America who they support, you're likely going to hear one of the big six, traditional big six clubs in, in England, right? Because I don't know if we can call Spurs or Arsenal one of the oh, biggest no, six definitely clubs not in Europe right six. now. Um, that, that, one, that one hits me a little bit deeper than it should. But objectively speaking, I mean, I think that we can, uh, it's friendly to put in the top 12 or the top 13. Um, what do you wish people knew? Because this is something that this is something that you've talked about in the past, right? You wrote an article for Breaking the Lines, um, really digging into just how close the top five leagues are and then ranking them. And as you said, the Premier League is first. And I think objectively that's got to be the case. But what do you wish people knew about just how close these leagues actually are? Like, because so, the, the metric is, well, how do they do international competition? But there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that article's definitely one to go and look at. Adam, yes, quite go read as well. it. Everybody read yes, it. yes. <laughs> so, for anyone who hasn't read it, and they will after, but the the lowdown of it was basically when to find real statistical differences between Europe's big five leagues. And though there were some things like the Bundesliga's goalkeeping is probably the worst out of the five, these differences are minute. But of course, in general conversation, they get expanded. Uh, so, that's the question, I guess, what, what I wish people knew. I don't think no is the answer. Uh, like, I, I, I'm someone who believes really that I know as much as someone working in government or working in a convenience store. But I feel like we all have the same knowledge. It's just prioritised in different ways. Right. What I want is the effort. I want people to have the effort and openness to look at, just look at different leagues and just look at different topics and approach it more neutrally. For example, like, I'm not sure you know, but I run a newsletter every week now of um, the games to watch across Europe. And the ideas predominantly come from of, I think people could spend their time better than sitting on the TV, sitting on the couch, watching TV, watching TV and it's like Watford beat Norwich. And they're thinking, oh, this is boring. But these people don't realise you click two channels up and you can watch like Marseille v Lille. And I feel like when you tell people to do that, their reaction is, oh, it's quite good. But there's just like this mental block of why would I do that? I'm watching the Premier League. So what I really want people to have is just that effort, that that mindset of I'm going to be open and I'm going to try something new and see how it goes. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And I think, I, I hope at least that that's kind of the way that this is shifting because I'm not sure. what What is um, coverage like of the other four big leagues in England? I mean, I know here... ESPN has just signed this deal with La Liga. They've got um, the FA Cup. And then I think CBS has the rights to Serie A. So we've got other ways of 
watching these leagues, and many of them are very recent. This Serie A CBS deal didn't come into place until, I believe, over the summer. I think this is their first year of, of having Serie A, and for ESPN, it's their first year of having La Liga. So they should be more in the mainstream. Is that is it a similar dynamic in England, or do you really have to go digging to find feeds of matches outside the Premier League? You, you sometimes do have to go digging. Obviously, uh, we have our TV blackout deal, um, where between the hours of uh, 2 p.m., I think it is 2 and 5 p.m., 5.30, sorry. Um, no football could be shown in the UK. And I do respect the reason for that. The reason here is we do want to protect our lower leagues, which I think the England is definitely unique in this aspect where there is, I mean, I don't know about America, but I don't think there's any European country whose lower sporting leagues are like so well funded. It's not necessarily just about keeping them afloat for the teams, it's just keeping jobs afloat. So I get why we have TV blackout field, but it does mean that um, on on Saturday, if I was to watch, I think it's Lazio v Inter, um, we have to tune in 15 minutes late because barred from showing the first 15 minutes. La Liga, you mentioned, not even shown on English TV. We have no, yeah, no broadcaster can show that. Uh, Bundesliga is shown on Sky Sports and that's two games a weekend. And... Um, a Serie A and Liga, and they're more well shown by BT Sport. Uh, so they're like the twin broadcaster of Sky, I guess. So they do go to great reference to show uh, to sh- to show Liga and Serie A, but not the uh, La Liga. Unfortunately, you have to go digging for that. <laughs> yeah, so it seems it's. I mean, uh, La Liga is is at least in America. I mean, BN has has La Liga streams, don't they? And I suppose. Um... I guess in the UK it's different. I mean, we like I said, we don't get B in, but whenever we find a La Liga feed, it's always B in sports and two two B in sports commentators. So, but it seems like for the most part, it's it's very parallel the 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 structure of streaming here and the structure of streaming in the UK. So I suppose that's leads to why there's so many of the same mindsets in terms of Premier League dominance in 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 both areas, which is fascinating. Um, I want to tie things uh, back to you a little bit because I've got some more questions um, regarding something that you've answered a million times. So I'm not going to ask you if you actually support a club again because every single <laughs> every single Q&A that you've done, every single time you've been asked that on Twitter, I'm sure you get – well, actually, even before I ask the question I've written down, I need to ask you this question which just popped into my head. How many times a week – do you get asked who do you actually support? Because I know you've made it a point to preach objectivity and I don't support anybody, but your, your Twitter banner for a few weeks was Oliver oh, Skip. And I know I know that was that was a, a dare and I'm not suggesting that you're a Spurs supporter, but how many times a week do you get asked that question? Well, first of all, Will, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're the first person to ever say to not ask it outright. Well done. I'm, I'm indebted to you. Uh, well, thank you. To answer that specific question, I think it's like five or ten times. But <laughs> so the full story is, because uh, I've only told this sparingly, I guess. The full story is, uh, but you said we were the same age. Right? You born in 1999. 99, yep. Right. So we're both five years old, five or six years old. Our brains are thinking around 2005. Which Premier League team do you think I started supporting? Arsenal. Oof. No. Oh, United. After. No, 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 just after that. Chelsea. Yeah, there you go. So, okay. newly anointed yeah, kings of England, right. little six-year-old Alex was, I love Chelsea. Uh, then I hit my, my teenage years and was like, I actually don't really care about this team anymore. <laughs> and my, my parallel is, obviously, they won the Champions League in 2012. 
made me screaming around my room, jumping up and down. I, I, I always remember what I did for the 2021 Champions League final. The, uh, the, the final whistle went. It so wasn't a very good final pass by Rodri there. And uh, turned my TV off and just went to bed. So, wow. yeah. And really, though, you kind of hinted it there. Uh, it, it, since I've really started this side of it, the Euro expert name, which I hate using, um, I, I've, I've definitely emphasised the fact I'm a neutral because it does, in my opinion, just like, I don't think it's I think it can be used as a stick to beat people with and I think that's so unfair because there are some great people out there who are, who are neutral but they will um, sadly by some people there will always be people who will say well you're a list fan so your opinion's invalid so like at least being neutral for me is like right I, I eliminate that no one can literally no one can come and say to me you have X agenda because I don't like I just don't but I do right. keep it honest because well, <laughs> the only time I've got into trouble, the only time I've ever got angry on Twitter was in, in the World Cup, the, the, the Euro story of England. Because England, I can't be a neutral on. I'm not, I'm not a robot. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm not a robot. So uh, but I'll, I'll defend them. And I'm definitely biased to them. But yeah, club level, I'm a, well, I wouldn't say happy because there's not much happiness there, but I'm I'm a living neutral. Cool. Perfect. So there, there's the official, the, the story and the phrase. So if anybody listens to this podcast, Anybody listening to the tactics room should never ask you this question again. That's what I'm hearing. Because that's the answer. That's yes. the bottom line. Yes. Okay. Um, do you find that, I mean, I know you mentioned that that um, that objectivity helps in seeing the game in a clearer way, right? Do you find that that there might be points where you feel like you're missing something because that emotional attachment to a certain clever player might not be there? Obviously, there are pros and cons to being a neutral and to supporting a club, but do you ever get a bit jealous of, of, of people who support a club and are going through these glory days and, and wish you had something like that? Yeah, actually. Yeah, at times. It, it wasn't so much last season because, so what I'll say, I'm a neutral, but it's not to say that I can't, you know, get behind something. Right. When Lille were winning Liga in last season, I'll, right. in, in my head, I'm like, go on, we could do it. Be a PSG, <laughs> like everyone. But yeah. definitely recently, like I will watch football and there is like, there's very little joy you'll get out of it unless it's a good game. Cause you're not, you're not rooting anyone on. So I'll watch yeah. it and be like, I, I do, ca I can feel like a robot. So yeah, I feel like sometimes I do miss things. I guess I talk, the only time it balances out is when I go online and um, <laughs> like every week, someone, someone new will say I have an agenda against X team. And now yes. I've got a list. Uh, apparently, according to people following online, I've got an agenda against West Ham, uh, Leicester, Arsenal and Tottenham, uh, Chelsea and United. Um, I'm doing pretty good in that regard. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Joy. Halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually the next thing I was going to pivot to is, is, I guess, one of the unspoken cons of being a neutral is that everyone thinks you have an agenda against everybody. I remember... Didn't you, you tweeted out a few days ago that somebody was, was oh, because you released your, your Europa League best 11, right? And didn't include Declan Rice. And somebody was all in your replies. Oh, West Ham agenda, West Ham agenda. And you're like, oh, well, here's the other seven clubs that I have agendas against. You got this rolling tally of who who you apparently hate, according to the, the fan base. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I went say that, that was a great one. Yeah. So that Europa League thing. Uh, yeah. I put Which, by the way, your midfield was fine. Like, I, I did not have an issue with not including Rice. Yeah. Because I feel like Rice is quite young. I feel like he's going to be... Right. Champions League level, but I I I'll, I think Zambo and Geese is very underrated. But I, I agree. But yeah, but <laughs> my favorite thing on that was um, 
<laughs> yeah, so someone came in. They didn't say I have a um, West Ham agenda. They said, you're biased to Leicester. And look, three Leicester fans came and said, no, he isn't. He hates Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> it's just countless <laughs> together. It's brilliant. It's funny how that works, isn't it? I remember, uh, uh, I think it was, it was our most recent episode. There was a video. Um, we released a clip of, of the most recent episode regarding Thomas Partey at Arsenal and his performance against Spurs. And he was really fantastic in that specific match. And there were two replies to that comment. One of them was along the gist of, of quit gassing up Thomas Partey. He's done nothing since he joined Arsenal. And the other reply under the exact same tweet was, you sold him short. He's so much more important to Arsenal than you made it out to be. So it's, it's the yin and the yang of life, I guess. No, no one can be pleased when, when, you're, when you're trying to look at things in an objective light. Um, but you have said uh, in past videos and, and a few minutes ago, you've got maybe not clubs or players you support, but you've got certain soft spots for players, right? You've mentioned Lille already. I know you are particularly fond of Mauricio Pochettino. Um, where do those soft spots, not supportings, where do those soft spots lie now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's worth clarifying that like you just said. So one reason it's called, I, I call them soft spots is because like Lil this season I haven't watched, couldn't care less right. about them. And the reason I, yeah, and the reason I could never call it, I'm respectful fans, like fan, fans aren't just biased people. They are incredibly... Well, they're incredibly supportive of their teams. So I'd never call myself a fan of X team because I've never put in the effort an actual fan would. Right. But if I, so I guess now for softball, see, plastic fan. And the, the people <laughs> and teams I'm a plastic fan of, uh, I guess at the moment would be, I kind of mentioned Zambo and Gisa, I think he's very underrated. I love him. He's, he's right. so, like third most dribbles completed in the, uh, in the Premier League last season. He was seventh for tackles interceptions as well. Um, trying to think of other soft spots now actually i think a lot of them do align with my reading so i've actually been reading uh the camera will show but um calcio the history of italian football and soft spot at the moment torino just found out about really? how yeah so this being nice of a nugget for anyone interested uh, interested uh up until 1949 torino what the second most successful team in italy just one behind juventus they won six it's a uh, serious they've won four in a row one of them unbeaten and then coming home from the Europa, uh, I think, uh, Champions League tie, or European Cup tie, a plane carrier in the team crashed into a mountain in Turin and killed the entire squad. Never recovered. And Tor Torino only ever won one more Serie A title 40 years later. So it's just, I feel like soft spots do align with things yeah. I read. Um, and I'll try and give you one more. I guess one more would be, uh, I, so still, Burak almost. What, what he did last oh, year. Oh, I can tell. Yeah. Last year, oh, another Senegal, Senegal. I yes. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm, yes. I'm confident. I'm confident that they'll do well at the World Cup. Should they get there? I'm, I'm never going to say they where they'll go after what happened with Turkey. <laughs> I'm still get PTSD, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, do have little soft spots aligned with some some uh, teams and players. That segues brilliantly because I, I do I do have to confront you a little bit about that turkey opinion. That is quite <laughs> oh, no. literally that is the name of one of your videos is Q and A with Euro Expert. Why oh. Turkey will win Euro twenty twenty? Alex, they didn't win a they didn't score a single goal. Did they? They didn't take a point. They didn't score a goal. So the I know the answer to the question. I'm going to ask the question out of respect, but I already know what you're going to say. Do you have a take or an opinion? This is the beauty of, of, of being in the public eye, especially in football Twitter. Do you have 
a take or opinion that you receive the most criticism for, and do you still stand by it? Oh, a good question. I mean, I was just changing that turkey title. My God, I <laughs> cannot stay. Um, oh, oh, oh. A controversial opinion. Um, see, the thing is, I always... I'm a big person in listening. So a lot of my controversial opinions do change. Like, for example, today, um, I, I, was, I, I tweeted about how the fact everyone's been quoting about Ronaldinho saying there's there'll never be a player like him ever again. There's no one like him now. There's no one flamboyant. And I said something along the lines of basically, look, there are flamboyant and skillful players in the in world football. And if he was playing now, he wouldn't be the best in the world. I'm quite young. I didn't get to watch him regularly. And about yeah. 70% of people came back and said, you are wrong. And when, when that many people come back and say that, I have to think, you know what? Maybe I can't be too confident in what I believe. Perhaps I'm wrong there. I'll tell you, that leaves you on note. Okay, controversial opinion, I 100% stick by it, even today. Uh, it leads into a bigger topic of it, but Wesley Fafana, right? I do not rate anywhere near as highly as other people. Really? I, not, I do think he could go to the top. But I am such a stickler for small sample sizes in youngsters. I mean, Wesley Fofano has played, I think, less than 38 league games in his career. Or like less that's than a full 50. body. That's a full season's work. Yeah, but I wouldn't judge anyone of one full season. It's like, yeah. it's like signing a player based off a of Euros for me. It's just like, you've got such a small sample size. Like, okay, it's not like a month for a Euros or World Cup, but it's one year out of about 15 in this player's career. And... I'm not saying like Wesley Fan will be average or anything, but when people when people rank him really highly, when people rank youngsters who have just burst onto the scene so highly, I have to come in and be like, listen, we've seen his strengths, but in a matter of time, we'll see his weaknesses. It's like Mason Mount. We're beginning to see him go for a bit of a bad patch in form, which proves he's not like an Mbappe level player that he might have been told he is like last year. So that's my controversial thing. Whenever you see my combined 11s and things, and just like opinions of my players, very rarely do I include players under the age of like 19 or 20, like amongst senior players. And that's one thing I always stick by. No, I, I, I in, in principle, I, I certainly agree because I mean, you look at, at, at I suppose Fafana is a perfectly fine example because he's a player who was very, very good, but he's also been battling injury too. And so that even regardless of, of that small sample size when he was, you could say Leicester's best defender and, and arguably in the team of the season conversation, at least in the Premier League for that one year. Um, he, he's, he has been badly injured and we haven't really seen him since then, have we? Because he suffered that injury in preseason mm. and I believe he's out for the entire season, isn't he? That's why they went out and bought Yanni Bissera from Southampton. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, even regardless of uh, what I think, he could come back from this injury and just not, like, he could never right. be the same player. Like, there's so many youngsters who explode and then just kind of decline. Jonathan Bamba and Jonathan Nakone at Lille at one point were meant to be sort of the future of the French wing. And they, look how they've kind of dropped off in essence. Bamba's 25 and he's still at Lille and he's not right. putting up the best numbers. So it's why I never I never back myself with youngsters unless it's unless it is someone who I've watched but over about two seasons and they are performing. Or it's someone like Haaland who is like you have to, you can watch him for like an hour and you'll go, this guy is just ridiculous. So yeah, very a big stickler for young players. Yeah, I remember Erling Haaland, the first, the first time I ever watched that man play was, was Salzburg and the year that they were in the Champions League with Haaland in, in Liverpool's group, I forget who, I don't think it was Liverpool on match day one, but he had a first half hat trick in, in that match. And that, that was sold then. I mean, maybe that was 
maybe that was pulling the trigger too soon. By that point, I was like, no, this guy's going straight to the top. And I don't think that that has been shot down yet. Um, I want to ask you about one more opinion that you have, because I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I do want to get your thoughts on it. Um, in your, your big, grand, fantastic uh, summer transfer window recap, the, the ranking the 77 transfers, you said that not Messi, but Memphis Depay to Barcelona was the number one transfer of the summer. Again, I don't necessarily disagree, but is that something that you still stand by? Yeah, actually. Yeah, 100%. Because I, I think Depay is going to be one of the few reasons that um, Barcelona uh, don't Barcelona get top four this year. Just because from watching him and Lee Gunn, that he's rebuilt his career since leaving United, he's continuously performed, and to a level in the champ- like in Europe as well, where we could be confident of his abilities, clearly like, but maybe not elite, he's nowhere near Messi, but he's clearly a very, very, very good footballer. And the fact they got him in on a free, like under their circumstances, I just feel like, you know, you can't knock that, especially his age, he's still in his prime. And the only reason it was above Messi is just because while Messi, for me, is the greatest player of all time and still the best player in the world, he's pretty old, you know? I mean, it's hard to find sticks to beat Messi, but that's just kind of, it's kind of the thing. Like, he's quite old. It's a two-year contract, whereas Depay could play for Barcelona. And I think Barcelona need him right now more than PSG needed Messi. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because they, they are still... You can argue struggling to replace uh, Luis Suarez's production, right? They tried well. Even you can argue that they're they're struggling to replace the the production of Neymar with since mm-hmm. since he left in 2016, 2017. They've tried with Dembele, they tried with Coutinho, and they tried with Griezmann, and nothing has worked. Um, yeah, no, I thought that was a fantastic shot. I I was expecting because I, I I suppose you just hadn't made it, made a video about it because I know you were ranking based on the videos you'd already made, correct? So you weren't throwing in any new transfers. I was like, is he going to put Donnarumma at number one? But no, I think... Uh, yeah, I think... Donna, if I had made a video on Donnarumma, I think he would have been like top five, top ten. Sure. Yeah. Even though he can't even get into the PSG team currently, it's still clearly Navas starting both the PSG. Which yeah. 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 I think um, it's deserved, though. I think it's deserved. Because Navas, you can't just dump right. him out. It's a bit like, um, right. quickly, I guess it's like Fabianski at West Ham. There's some... Right. When I made a hot take about Ariola, uh, said he's a, a world-class keeper. You have high praise for Alphonse Ariola. Yeah. Uh, but people were like, is West Ham's backup keeper? It's because Fabianski's good. They're not just going right. to pin him. Good play. Deserves to stay. Right. Um, so one thing that that I, I very much appreciate, because we use the same kind of ways to analyze games on this podcast, is the way that you use expected goals. Expected goals, expected assists, um, metrics for goalkeepers, the post-shot expected goals, per t- whatever the, the long letters and numbers and words is. Post-shot expected goals, shots on target, something like that. Um, I don't have it on the top of my head, but we, we use them here as well. And I think there is a lot of value in a stat like that. Um, unfortunately, they're still uh, a bit controversial and a bit misunderstood the way that they should be implemented. Um, in, in your opinion, why? I mean, these are stats that, that are useful in providing information based on full bodies of work, um, but they are relatively new. Um, they are not concrete stats. You can't look at a match and see, oh, that was 0.7 expected goals. Uh, they're very untraditional. Where do you think the, the misunderstanding is in the way that these stats should be implemented? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Because I think there's, at least in England, the England is definitely the, I think, the biggest hot point for this, at least in Europe. Might be a similar thing in America, but you've had Moneyball. So I'm expecting, <laughs> I'm expecting right. your country to be better than us. <laughs> but... The first layer is just there are people who I will say what a key pass is and they go, what's that? 
Like they have absolutely right. no idea. So like you have to even describe why these things could even matter. And, and like they're misunderstood because some people just say, just watch the game. And I think that's a level of terms of some people think that you build some people just build their opinions off numbers. And they say, well, I can watch this game and get more from it than this fact sheet. I, I think that's true as well. But I think what that misunderstanding comes from is that they should always be used as a supporting, right. uh, as a supporter. They're, they're not meant to be the concrete thing, unless maybe it's over a general season. Because not, no, not even I, with my zero life, can watch every football game all 90 minutes. Otherwise, I won't sleep. So they are they're incredibly useful in that aspect. And I guess for I guess for casual people, not even just in football, we should just rely on numbers more. I don't think I don't think the majority of people rely on numbers enough. They're incredibly useful, and just because they can prove you wrong, doesn't mean you should just blow it out of the water. And then the next level is sometimes yeah they can be misused in terms of you can rely on them too often, or they could be used to make a conclusion that's bad. I mean. Recently, for myself, I, I had a back and forth with data analysts in football, and actually, like speaking to them and learning from them because I made a, a chart about progressive actions like carries and passes, moving the ball uh, more than 15 yards after it, uh, for the first time in like five passes in the possession, and defensive actions, so tackles, interceptions, etc. And the data I used was great, but my conclusion was the best midfielders in the Premier League. And that's incorrect. Just because they're ranked high in numbers doesn't mean I could make grand conclusions right and i think that's where the next maybe the second level where stats being misused is they can be used to tell stories and misrepresent things when they shouldn't and i mean to bring it all home i'm you kind of you kind of mentioned there i'm a big believer in using football statistics as i outlined i think we should all rely on numbers and in kind of like my videos and tiktok and things like that especially there i have a younger audience that I get messages from people saying, oh, I'm in school, do you reckon I should do this subject? And I think it's so important to introduce these numbers early on for people so they get used to it and then they can build their own thoughts off of it. And yeah, I think definitely misunderstood in how they can be used and also what e they even are, but they definitely need to uh, keep moving in the, the direction. I've said some people disagree with this, um, but I'm a big believer in, I think it's better to, use them badly than have no understanding of them at all because at some point it's a lot easier to turn someone's head who's using it badly than someone who doesn't believe in it at all because at least as that person they're on the right path or as someone else you've got to like pick them up and drag them on this path uh but yeah i guess that's my sort of rambly thoughts on it no and it makes sense and i think uh as as you mentioned i mean america is with our with our big sports here specifically as you mentioned moneyball with the mlb but also even growing with sports like the NHL and, and the NFL, these advanced analytics, I mean, they are, uh, we, we are hiring, uh, we, we are no longer hiring like sports marketing, sports journalism people in the front office. We're hiring like statisticians to work in front offices of, of professional sports teams for that exact reason, because these advanced analytics, and you mentioned my Moneyball is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's for that exact reason. It's the usage of non-traditional stats to compose what turned out to be a really, really good baseball team. And obviously they didn't, they ended up not winning that final game of the season, but they got a hell of a lot farther than they should have, which I think is why a lot of Americans specifically really appreciate and enjoy and like learning about these kind of advanced uh, uh, abstract stats, I think is what you can call them. Um, 
But do you think, at least in, in your experience over in Europe and in the UK, that these are stats that people will grasp? Is this where the future of, of football analytics lie? Or is it something that is going to receive too much kickback, too much backlash, and it will still be something that just a small subsect of, of analysts and fans use? That's an interesting thing. Even in clubs, I was speaking to a... Um... Uh, a Belgian football analyst recently who's um, who's worked with a couple of Belgian clubs and he's, he told me he had to fight tooth and nail for these Bel- like to get into these Belgian teams and, uh, and get him to use analytics so not even just in journalism level uh, even in the professional game it's still not being utilised right. across the board but I think his wording was the majority of teams are still they're still run by people who are the older generation where a lot of those older generation they, they feel alien to it they don't understand it um, I guess with journalists and fans, the big hurdle for me really is overcomplicating it. You notice, like in my articles, and I guess more for the adult audiences, people like you uh, will talk about expected goals, right? We understand it, but I think the biggest hurdle to it is throwing around terms like expected goals to your friend Dave down the road, who doesn't even understand a key pass, and the moment you say, "Oh, you're wrong," because X team has this expected goals that just builds a thicker wall around him of saying, I'm not going to listen to you, but you're, you're basically talking gibberish to me. Right. So I guess with it is more that we, what we need to do is really start from the ground up still with people. And I guess my whole outtake on it really is that they'll, they feel there's a, a divide. There's at the bottom of the period, there's still people who are not receiving sort of the basic education on it and are not getting treated to a proper understanding. And the people who might be teaching them, they're almost getting worse teachers because they're going further into the rabbit hole. Right. And they're getting so far detached where it's... I often see it online. Uh, someone will say, oh, uh, Brighton got this many expected goals last season, so in reality, they should be scoring more. That person says, oh, what expected goals, what does that even mean? And then that other person will say, oh, you don't understand, understand stats, leave me alone. That's what I hate about it all, really. You need to make sure those people chat and educate each other. And that's the way forward. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and you, you bring up a really fascinating point with that answer, which is you do have plenty of fans still, and this is everywhere, where you are, where I am. You have plenty of fans everywhere that analyze and draw conclusions too much based on what they're seeing on their television set. And it's nearly impossible to consistently draw informed opinions just from watching because there's so much that happens off the ball in any given football match, you're going to miss something unless you're not also looking at statistics or or do something like you do, which is take notes and, and write down what you're seeing so you can remember it. But would you say you can also be too far on the other end of the spectrum where you're drawing conclusions based solely on these statistics, only on expected goals, expected assists, all these things, and draw conclusions on certain players or teams without actually watching them on the television. Yes, a million billion percent. Uh, I think that is extremely harmful. Just seeing people who can, like, not only have I mentioned, I've mentioned the side of people who draw conclusions strongly from that, they alienate others who might have got into analytics. But yeah, just on their own level, you can't just make conclusions just off the numbers. I brought up the example earlier of when I like analyze games i'll have my notepad uh not handwritten uh, that'll be hell on my computer and i'll be <laughs> typing yeah i'll be typing down what the stats aren't covering so like i said mount made a great dribble down the wing 
but he could have played in uh, Werner and he chose to take around one more and lost the ball. Could have made a great pass. The person who looks at the stats fails to see that. I, it's, it's just a, you can't build the opinion just off of that. And also, likewise, you can't build it just off of watching the game. I was gonna, I was gonna say that like Marcelo Bielsa. I remember he he said he watches games twice. He watch it once and watch it again from the other times, other teams' perspective. And he's lead to struggling. He's clearly not the best manager in the world. No one can get everything from a football match. I'm actually like one big motto I believe in is I mentioned Dave down the road. Me and him could go and watch the same game, and we could we can get the same amount from the game, and it might be completely different, and we could both be exactly spot on. Right. And yeah, is is. That's what believer in watching the game and kind of ties in. You can watching the game provides you so much more sometimes than stats. You just need to find that balance because marrying them's perfect. Sticking to one of them is a is a bad journey. Well, that that brings up a good point too. Is is where is that line then? Where where is the appropriate line to draw conclusions using both the eye test and also statistics. Cause like you said, you can, you and, and your buddy Dave can both watch the same football match and be seeing the same things and be looking at the same players and the same actions and draw two completely different conclusions, but neither one of you is necessarily wrong. So where is that line between not focusing too much on stats and not focusing too much on the eye test? Really? I think the best line is kind of hinted at there is discussion. Right. I, it doesn't matter how much football I watch. If I don't share my opinions, don't listen to others, I will be wrong on a lot of things. It's why now, whenever I do a big thing, like an article or a thread or a video, I usually send it to a fan of that team and say, what are your thoughts? Am I wrong? Be completely honest. That's really the essence of it. Even someone who, for example, as we record this, it's a Thursday night for me. Tomorrow I'm going to do some data work on Leicester and post it because they've been struggling, Right. And I'm purposely going to just look at it from the data side. I haven't watched them yet. But what I'm going to do is make sure that I ask Leicester fans, hey, what do you think of this? Right. So an example of you can go to one side, but you just have to be open to what somebody else says. And from that way, you'll always like find a fair opinion. You just got to make sure you're not, you don't lock out other people's thoughts just because they disagree with you. And you're just open to as many sides as possible. Whether that is data, your friend Dave, or just watching the game. Yeah, no, 100%. I fully agree. And I think that's, uh, we need more of that discourse, I feel like, on uh, on, on social media. And Just in general. With, as you mentioned, with the punditry. I mean, yeah, with, with everything. I mean, that kind of discourse, especially in a sport like this one, where it isn't so obvious when you watch the TV. You watch a game like baseball or football, American football, sorry. But you watch a game like baseball or American football on the TV, and, and you pretty much know what you're seeing. You say, oh, this guy batted two for four with a home run. I He hit 500. He had a home run. That's all I really need to know. But in, in a game like football, you can't you can't do that as easily. And if, if you're an untrained eye, and by untrained eye, I mean everybody except those who analyze the game for a living, it's a lot more difficult to to pull those things away. Um, I've got a couple more questions for you before we get to this 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 uh, rapid fire bit. I just more about about you yourself. I want to know because you at the start of this year, and you've talked about this at the start of this year, you had a zero. You were had zero following. I mean, I mean, it really, the, the growth that you've seen on all your platforms has started since January 1. Um, what, 1,700 YouTube subscribers, I think 6,000 followers on Twitter, 16,000 followers on TikTok. Um, I mean, that's massive growth. Have you had a chance to just maybe take a step back and, and just take it in and, and understand how, how this journey has been so far? 
<laughs> part of the reason I'm here is my answer to that, which is sadly no, so uh, really. It's because the thing that's got me here is a combination of overworking and work rate and oftentimes a jealousy which is toxic to myself. I can look at someone and I, I, can, I can upload a video. For example, I did a video the other day of um, how to break down a deep, um, deep block and it got 40,000 views. That dopamine hit, great, loved it. I can go on Twitter and see someone who's got a job I want or just hit account I want and then the brain resets and goes, oh, okay, you need to hit this goal. And I think that's really where it's all stemmed from, this growth and why I haven't really... I think I can acknowledge it. I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to say ever for attention and be like, I've done nothing. <laughs> but I, I feel like there's, there's actually a thing I realised um, other people have had over sort of the pandemic and lockdown. It's something called product dysfor productivity dysphoria. Where no matter what you do, you still get this feeling of I can be doing more. And that's what I get all the time. And sometimes it can be pretty bad for you because you can just fail to recognize what you're doing. But it's kind of where I've got. I mean, the whole TikTok thing. I started that uh, May 27th. So 16,000 followers in three months is absolutely insane. Yeah, it's decent. Yeah. And the only reason it happened is because uh, I, I remember it. I, I was sitting there in um, May. I was like, right, uh, I've done my uh, job for the day, my paid job, which uh, I keep private. I've done my, uh, I've done a Twitter thread. I've done a YouTube video. Uh, I've just been on a stream to break down a team. Right, got a couple hours free. Sit down. What can I do now? And right. made, then I started making those videos, started TikTok, and that's where it is. So it's, whenever I have free time, it's just either I make sure I keep my my girlfriend happy, <laughs> bless her for supporting me with this, <laughs> um, and then it's what can I do next? Do you do you find that 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 mindset of of just foot on the pedal constantly, needing to make new content, needing to grow? I mean, you 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 speak a little bit about how that can be be a bit detrimental. Do you find that at certain points that can be used as bit of a motivating tool as a let me go and, and put out my next piece of content and, and, and continue to grow or or is that uh, uh, not not one of the points of emphasis no no that's that's spot on that's spot on I remember I literally had this I had this conversation with my girlfriend at the start of the year uh, I said to her my, my words were right I know mentally I have an issue where I can't recognize my own achievements at times and I, I, the whole boiling point of this I overwork I know that's an issue mentally and I know it's not completely healthy, but I know if I keep this and I don't fix it, it's going to get me far. As long as I can sort of maintain it, it feels like it's always like a bad energy, but you can transform it into something good. So you do, I do always try and look for the motivation in it of there will be days where I, I'll, I'll sit there and go, oh, this thing I did rubbish and there's no point in doing it. But most of the time I like to think is right. This video was pretty good. How can we do the next one? How can we make it better? This person just hit 10,000 subscribers. Well done to them. How can you get there? Right. So yes, definitely a lot of motivation that comes from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I totally understand that side of things, how it can be a bit of a pro and a con, just mm. kind of all bundled them with each other. Um, I do want to ask you about one more thing. If we can get serious for, for a minute. I know I said this it, be yeah. a, a lighthearted, 
fun discussion, but I do want to get serious with you about one thing because um, I think I think it's it's important to talk about. Um, you have been very open on on social media with discussing your growth. I know what's coming. Goals. Say again. I know what's coming. <laughs> okay, well, well, you beat me to the punch. Um, but I, I, I do just want to gather your, your general thoughts. Um, you've spoken about your growth, but also uh, your struggles with mental health since 2018. And you, you say that when you speak, you're, you're, you're okay and you're open to speaking about it because you want to be able to help others, but also it serves as a bit of a therapy for yourself. Um, and that was something that, that even as recently as last week, you were, you were speaking about. And even before I, I jump to the question, I mean, that is, is commendable. I, I respect the shit out of it. That is, um, the, uh, being in that kind of position, it's not always easy to be so open with something like that. And so being as willing as you are to, to tell your story and try to be a, a beacon of light for people who might be going through the same thing, um, genuinely, I, I think it's commendable. Um, you have experienced this rapid growth in a sphere in football, social media, football, Twitter, that is at times notoriously cutthroat, notoriously knee jerk, notoriously, I don't know your face, so I can say whatever I want to you. Um, do you find that at times that that spotlight to be a little bit overwhelming? Thankfully not. And uh, yeah, we can chat about that. I'm, I'm someone with uh, the mental health side of myself. Of course. I, I hate it when people will talk about it as if it's like the worst thing ever to happen in the world. And it's like, you have to speak for it for biting your, your teeth to make sure you don't cry. To me, it's like it, loads of people have it now. I think like three in five people in the UK right. suffer from mental it health. Is, it yeah. is a common thing. Yeah. And sometimes when we speak about it, it's a common thing. We make it a big, this is mental health suicide. It's a giant thing. We need to make sure it's widespread. For me, I'm like, it's like getting the flu, you know? So the backstory for anyone listening. So I mentioned I'd gone to university. After that first year, the reason I dropped out was because I was uh, going through heavy depression, uh, very nearly close to the point of suicide. Uh, Because at that point, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Absolutely no idea. I felt like I'd picked my career and picked up and thrown it in the bin uh just no idea then from the past year and a year and a bit or so i found the the football tiktok side but football rather football analysis side sorry and um that's kind of been the source of growth and there's still been mental struggles this year as <laughs> i felt nearly as low at the beginning of this year when um i didn't quite have a job uh i didn't have a job and i was just in the football analysis and in, in the uk our job our job crisis was crap i know in the us i think it was maybe worse but yeah it was, it was pretty bad over here too yeah so as someone of um it didn't finish uni it's quite hard to especially in that climate to apply for a job and be like uh, i i hadn't i hadn't mastered the point that i hadn't mastered the uh, argument at that point to say the reason i dropped out is a strength not of actually well, i want to hide it off my cv you don't want to talk about it so much um but yeah to answer the point of really I've kind of used it as a strength. And I remember that low point, it was 2018. From that point, I've said, there is nothing anyone can say to me or go to me to bring me down to that point again. And I know that's quite a cliche thing to say, but genuinely, though, as well, I've grown up a small ginger child in an all-boys school, by the way. You know, I've had all manner of things said to me. And I think after year nine, maybe, they genuinely didn't matter anymore. So going online... 
I've, I think I've been quite lucky because most people have been extremely kind. <laughs> but I almost, I, I just, I sometimes love it when people come for me. When people, someone today just messaged, um, you, 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 you fell off, bro. Like the casual thing. I just, wow. I was like, just probably like, cheers, bro. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Don't let the door hit you on the way in. Yeah. It's like, if someone, like, also, like I've got a girlfriend. Insult my looks. I dare you. I couldn't care less, lad. <laughs> like, the only, I think the only thing that can sort of get me on Twitter. I, I mentioned before. If I if I do some work, and someone who I consider to be more educated than me or is in the in football goes, "This is bad," then I'd be like, "Oh, well, that's quite shit." <laughs> but thankfully, it's only happened a couple of times. No matter how many times my brain tells to think it's like a million times. And uh, besides that, really, there's nothing that can get me down. Not in the cliche way. It's just because why would it? I'm doing okay, and you've got to live with your life, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what. I there are a hell of a lot of people who can take a page out of your book on that front, just in terms of of learning how to how to. Yeah, again, I mean, I mean, social media it, it is a cutthroat place. It is a place where it is easy to get demoralized, especially when um you are opening yourself up to producing content like like the both of us and like so many other people are uh essentially putting it out there for criticism from people who don't know you don't know anything about you and you don't know them either so um that mindset i feel like is is certainly one that i wish i had that mindset of uh, of um you know yeah it's just uh just to point that in terms of it's just reminded me of something that might inspire some people in terms of so um when i started doing a tiktok i remember being of a friend and it, i think it just hit like five thousand. a few videos got like two hundred thousand views and i was sitting in front he goes jill why are you putting your face out there i didn't even consider it didn't right. even consider it because um, my 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 big motto is i think i was struggling to word it at the end there but this is really what i believe in now, some people believe i think people who can struggle on social media um they might take criticism as hate. And I think there's a big difference. Criticism is where no matter how it's worded, um, someone is criticizing you and it's something you can improve on. And there is hate where like someone's just aiming to bring you down. On Twitter, I don't this might surprise you. I've only ever blocked one person. Wow. Um, and there's been people who like, okay, I remember there was one person recently. Uh, I'm gonna name him because he was mean at first. Uh, CF- love it, love it. C- CFC, uh, CFC path. Um, well, I basically he's a Chelsea fan, and I tweeted a graphic which basically slated Chelsea's creativity. He came in and said, "Yo, yo, prick, what are you talking about? This is crap." Okay, insulting me, all the things. Right. I went, "Well, slow down, sir. Slow down." And I said, I explained it to him my side of it. it was just like, "Hey, I did this. Nothing against Chelsea whatsoever." I appreciate you criticizing me, though. Try and word it more politely. Appreciate it. <laughs> and then he came back and said, "You know, respect for you." And whenever someone criticizes me or goes to hate me, I always try and aim to uh, talk to them. And if I if I genuinely can't find a level-headed discussion, that's when I'll be like, "Oh, you don't matter. You, you've not aimed to. You've not aimed to. You've not actually valued what I've said. You genuinely don't care. Your opinion literally doesn't matter." And there's only a handful of people, handful of people will do that. That's my advice to anyone who's in this industry. Try and search for value in what people say. And if there is no value in it, then write it off out of your brain. Because if you decide there's no value in it, why should you let it play on your head? Or just get it out of your brain and then you'll uh, live a happier life. 
I do enjoy and appreciate your benchmark for where you start to second guess yourself in terms of content creation, which is when there's somebody who's already established in the in the football media sphere, whether it's as a pundit or as a writer or something. Um, and if they're the one that that's providing criticism and feedback, I because I, I think a lot of people are, are too concerned with what first name lots of numbers has to say about about the mm. things they put on social media, whereas that's not always the case. So. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of times there have been some some blue check marks or some some legitimate football journalists who've come back and said uh, this is not good. Has it been mostly constructive? Is it something that you've learned from, or is it something that you more so just kind of uh, just pick pick yourself up by the bootstraps and move on? No, it's it's people I've ended up being friends with. There's um I'm named Joe oh, really? Lover for good reason. Someone called uh, Cameron Herbert, I think his name is. Uh, he's in Canada. He's a coach. And I remember he came. He came to his, it, the two ones were a quick session. It was a Mark Kukurea video, um, where I, I, I slated him a bit. And if, if my weakness was, I hadn't properly looked at Hatafe. And if I looked into a bit more, I would have been a bit more positive on him. Right. And um, the other one was the the graph I mentioned before, right? And he'd come in after seeing these two things, and uh, said, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was something quite snarky at first. But it was just like, oh. You, you shouldn't have labelled it this. And then what I did, what I do with all the people who will say this, I, I DM them and say, hey, appreciate the feedback, really trying to learn, word out of here, don't hold any bars, like, criticise me as, as hard as possible. And he literally said something like, I, I think most of your work is mediocre at best. Oh and, my in gosh. Head, and in my head I was thinking, I said be polite, <laughs> fuck you. Oh, but, no. <laughs> but since then, like, we have positive, like, he's, been very positive to me have positive discussions and like I'll, I'll message him now and i think it, i mean i haven't spoken to him directly about it, but i think he's warmed to me so what you said though about the how what 0379 j5 <laughs> thinks of you i will take it just because you know they're not a football journalist i'll, I'll make take as much value out as their opinion right. as well because like if i if i make a great graph of detailing football stats and People in the industry say, this is brilliant. And I show Dave down the road and he says, I can't read it. Then I'm listening to Dave down the road. I'm saying, right, he can't read it. Where have I gone wrong? So it's not just the people in the industry, but it is really more of if people are criticising you, no matter who they are, you should listen. Unless their criticism holds no value whatsoever, then you can eliminate it. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, like I said, people can take a page out of that book. I think I think it's operating on social media is a lot of times very, uh, very knee jerk, very cutthroat. Um, I've got a few uh, rapid fire questions here for you to round this thing off. You ready? Go for it. Cool. First football memory. First football memory. Uh, watching, <laughs> this is rogue, watching a YouTube compilation of uh, Ronaldo x Joe Cole x Ricardo Charisma x Diego. 12 minute <laughs> compilation of their skills and goals from about 2007, I think, 2008. Love that video. You can still find it on YouTube. It's brilliant. Can you still go back and watch it? Yeah, you can still watch it. I believe yeah. something like that and it will come up. When's the last time you saw it? Oh, two years ago. I can yeah. remember the soundtrack. It's um, <laughs> uh, 20% like 30% skill by that guy. You know. Oh, that's a fantastic song. Yeah, Rem fantastic. Remember the name by somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, favorite football memory? Favorite football memory. Oh, World Cup, England. That was when uh, I, I remember going outside after we beat Colombia in the, the quarterfinals. And it wasn't just happening because England won. But I walked out with like people in my area. It's a very, um, for lack of a better term, quite, quite xenophobic area at times. Okay. But 
people of all colours, like all backgrounds, they're all dancing together, cars going round and round and round about, chanting England things. I was just looking at it, I was like, I've never seen our country more together than that. So that's by far my favourite football memory. Honestly, that's probably one of my favourites. I'm not even from there. I, I just watched that <laughs> run from here. I mean, what, what a run that was. That made me so happy because um, my guy was wearing the captain's armband, but that's aside from the point. Um, I think you may have alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I'll ask you anyway. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ronaldo, best athlete in the world. Messi, an alien. Sure. Um, fully agree. I know you don't support a club. If you did, would you rather than win the Premier League or the Champions League? Uh, Premier League, because the Champions League's based kind of a flock, where the Premier League's a, measure, a measurable thing. So that way I can say, you know what? I'm confident this team's good. Whereas in the Champions League, they could be Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. And like, <laughs> luck it. I love that angle of that discussion. That is, because you win the Champions League, you win, you get through 10 or 11 matches. You win the Premier League, you've done it for nine months. I fully agree. Um, your favourite player that nobody knows about? Oh, that's a good question. Nobody knows about. All right, you can give me a countdown. I've got one on my head, but if I can't think of anyone else, I'll say him. Uh, we will go with... You know what? I'm going to go with him anyway. Anthony from Ajax. I know people have heard of him, but I feel like the general football population haven't. Uh, not only is he a talented player, but he's a guy who's wrote a book age 19. I think that was forwarded by Lucas Mora. He, he was almost dropped out of the um, Sao Paulo Academy three times. Like, he's almost released three times. His story's so interesting. And yeah, I've got, I've got big hopes for him. That's a fantastic shout. And actually, that's one that you you were, uh, I believe, in your Twitter thread, the Ajax Players Twitter thread. I think Anthony was, was one of the players that you, that you yes. detailed, though. Yes, it was, it was. Was he the one that you had in your head, or, or was that a, a different person? No, no, that's the one I had, yeah. That was one? Cool. Um, you can only watch three leagues for the rest of your life. Which are they? Uh, Liga, Premier League, and Bundesliga. Liga is interesting. Why Liga over a league like uh, Serie A or Eredivisie, even? Uh, I, I, I tell you what, I owe my career to Liga uh, sure. because uh, I watched PSG under Thomas Tuchel very closely and my big, big break came when... Uh, uh, it's a quick five question, who cares? It's a good story. Yeah, my big break, came, anyway, so. yeah, big, big break came when um, I, there's a channel called GNA TV that I sometimes live stream on. Uh, it's like more or less every weekly. And uh, I went on there when Tuchel is about to be hired by Chelsea. And there were a few other Chelsea YouTube channels on there. And they lay a little like, oh, even the journalists in the athletic, this is what really filled me with pride. Every journalist in the athletic gave like 500 words to Dortmund, about 100 words to PSG. And it was right. all about the Champions League. And I said, uh, but I'd watched him. I'd watched him for like a year and a half. I knew nearly everything about it. So the, on, this, on this stream, it's like six of us. The other five, basically clueless. Uh, not by their own fault. They're covering Chelsea. Why would they know? Right. I come in and I say, X, 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 X. I've the answer to pretty much every question after the stream. Hey, man, can you come on my channel? Hey, man, can you come on my oh, channel? Wow. I, I remember it literally went. I went on a channel that had 500 subscribers. Later in the day, I went on a channel with 7,000. Later in the day, I went on a channel with 15. And then finally ended up with 30,000. Wow. And it, yeah, and it was just like, and it all happened within like two days. And like like that, that was when I, that my identity of like going on different channels and things, that's when it was born. So you feel in a way personally indebted to PSG because what are they and, and to an extent Thomas Tuchel, who now is at is at, at former former supporting club Chelsea. Yeah, I do like Tuchel. Uh, I will criticize him when I need to. Um I did feel well, 
I did feel indebted to PSG, I guess. You no, know, no, I was going to say I did because I thought I read this particular book after this, but um, the indebted, indebted to uh, indebtment to PSG, it balances out after reading a, a book called The Ugly Game, which I recommend, which details. Oh. oh, you got it. You've got yes, it. Sir. Yeah, we go. Right. I think it, I think that's why there's different cover. I'm hoping it is. Is that about the? Two? Yeah, it's. I got this off some third party book. Is it Guitar World Cup? It is. Yeah, Heidi yeah. Blaze and Jonathan Calvert. Yes. So you would Fantastic. know. You would know that Michelle Platini, who voted for Guitar, it was yep. alleg- allegedly, maybe not, promised because uh, he said um, the guitarist said to Platini, "If you vote for us, uh, we might, you know, we might put a billion pounds into a French league club." And he said, "Okay." So the fact that you know that happened to PSG, it balances out with what I like about them. Fair, fair. Um, oh, what, what a shot! I'm so glad. I, I actually, I was meaning I, 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 um, I, w- I was going to try to, to touch on some some of these football books because I know that that you uh, are an avid reader of, of football books, right? I know you have one TikTok where you just go through all of the ones you've read, or some of them with a fact from each. Um, so I guess briefly, we'll just turn this into a rapid fire question because I really am curious as to your thoughts because I've got uh, three shelves full of books over here off to my right. Um, best football book you've ever read? Did it? No, no I'm going to change it. Howard Webb. Howard Webb's autobiography. Really? I, al- I almost said Drogba because that's one of the first I've read. And obviously it's going to be a bit of nostalgia there. He was like, part of the time where I was, I guess, a Chelsea fan. But he's also got just a really inspiring story. I've changed it to Weblow. Because I feel like some football autobiographies, they can feel ghost-written. It, his personality shines through. And I, I don't know if you've read it, but I guarantee if you read it, you'll never look at referees the same way. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think I've said before, I'm, I don't think I'll ever hate on a referee ever again. Because I, <laughs> I now understand their perspective, and it's eye-opening. Yeah. I have not read it, but I will certainly add it to, uh, to the, the list. Have you? I'll give you one. Have you read Outcast United? I've not, no. You know what it's about? No, I'm going to kiss United, Man United. Out, Outcasts United. It's uh, I'll show you the cover. So essentially, the gist of it is it's based in an American city in Georgia. And it's just the story of a woman from the Middle East who comes here with nothing, essentially. And this town that she just moves to happens to be a United Nations refugee town. And it's a story of how she kind of builds this youth club from scratch they, they call themselves outcast united because this i mean it's a city in the american south in the 60s and 70s well probably later than that honestly um but i mean not not the most open predominantly white not not the mm. um the most open to 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 refugees from, from other nations and it's just the story of how they kind of combated that and put together it's my favorite football book of all time i know this is not my rapid fire segment section but uh, i no, i have no, to that, that's that. a that's an interesting story thank you yeah it's a very good book. Um, all right, I have one more question for you. I know I, I said I was done, but I I, <laughs> I have it written go down. For it. Um, I am a bit jealous of your fashion sense. I, I the shirt that that you've got on yes. now, you you've, you've got some other ones. I forget. I think it was your earliest Q and A. I saw I saw uh, just some some very colorful some very colorful dressings, and that's a shirt that I recognize. Actually, you recorded I think one of your Q and As with that shirt as well. Where does that come from? Is that just is it whatever you've got in your closet? Is it something that, that you, you look to improve upon? Like, where does that fashion sense come from? It's, it's very, it's very special. Oh, you might be my favorite human of all time. It's <laughs> getting sent to my friends. <laughs> it's, it's just me, I guess. I'm a big fan of these sort of shirts. I like, I like to stand out, you know. And 
Yeah, I was not prepared for that, uh, but I am, <laughs> I am chuffed beyond belief at that one. I remember, because um, I, I watched a few videos prior prior to this. I think the first one I clicked on was, was Q&A 3, and I was like, I forget, I forget what shirt it was, but it was, it was these stripes and lines. And I was like that I could not pull that off. I was like, I respect it. I respect that shirt. <laughs> um, well, Alex, thank you again so much. This has been a fantastic, enlightening conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, do you want to go ahead and quickly plug your socials? Where can we find you? You write for basically every single football publication in Europe, so that might be a long list to rattle off. But uh, do you want to just give give the viewers, if they don't know you specifically, where they can find more of your content? I will, but make sure everyone listening follows this podcast. You oh, do. you're too kind. You're too kind. I must do. Um, yeah, if you feel like following me, uh, at EuroExpert on every platform apart from Twitter where you have to add an underscore. Um, I've tried contacting the guy. Uh, but he's an analyst of the uh, the euro currency and he won't hand it over. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you want European content, just I guess from a neutral perspective, might be a good idea to follow me. Yes, um, objectively, I, I recommend that follow as well. We can look biased aside. Um, so that's it. That's Alex Barker. Alex Barker. Whoa, Alex, thank you uh, so much again for, for jumping on. Oh, thank you. This has been, oh, truly enjoy myself. This is great. So that was my conversation with Alex. Again, a big thank you to him for being our first ever guest. And like I said, it was thoroughly one of my favorite conversations. Truthfully, if it wasn't 11 p.m. in England by the time we wrapped up, I think I had another three hours worth of questions. I'd also like to thank Juan Castro, who does much of the behind-the-scenes work for this podcast that goes so unnoticed. He helped make this conversation possible. Juan, big thank you to you. And for all of you listening, I hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as I enjoyed recording it. One more time, if you want to find Alex on social media, you can find him on any platform, at EuroExpert, except for on Twitter, like he said, where you have to add an underscore, because at EuroExpert on Twitter is the expert in the Euro currency, which, by the way, I didn't mention in the podcast. I don't know why they have experts for currencies like that, and I also don't know why, if you're an expert in currency, why you would then steal that that uh, that tag, that username. But that's aside from the point. If you want to find Alex on Twitter, at EuroExpert underscore. Also, don't forget to follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter as well, at BTLVid, along with our website at www.breakingthelines.com. This was a bit different from the standard mold, but if you like this discussion, you will surely enjoy our daily content centered around technical analysis of football all across the globe. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter as well, at WillFowler5. Not as good a follow as BTL or Alex, but I've got a good tweet every uh, one once every week or so, once every two weeks or so. Also, subscribe to this podcast from wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. We will be back next week for episode six. But until then, you've been listening to the Tactics Room Podcast presented by Breaking the Lines. <laughs>